Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. I'm Rick Wolfel. Wendy O'Brien came to Latvia five years ago to help build a golf course and build a team. O'Brien is the superintendent at the Germala Golf Club and Hotel, a 27-hole facility featuring a Jack Nicklaus design located just west of Riga, Latvia, the country's capital. A native of England, O'Brien came on board in February of 2017 to finish overseeing the grow-in at the club. She's been there ever since. Her journey in the turf industry has taken her not only to Latvia, but to locations throughout Europe and also America, where she interned at Kingsmill and at the Augusta National Golf Club. She's volunteered at the Masters for nearly two decades. We're honored to have Wendy O'Brien with us on this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. Wendy, welcome to Wonderful Women of Golf. Through the magic of technology, you're joining us from halfway across the world in Latvia. We're honored to have you with us. Very much. It's great to be here. We should start out by saying you are located about a two and a half hour drive from the Russian border. And obviously, there's a lot going on in that part of the world right now. Uh, do you have any concerns about uh, your safety at all or the safety of your team? Uh, currently, no. Um, we are members of the EU and we are members of NATO. Um, so I feel relatively confident that obviously um, we have some protection that way. Obviously, concerns for people in Ukraine and a lot of sympathy for that, what's happening there. Um, but at the moment, ourselves actually feel um, life is almost normal, apart from obviously watching the news and being a little bit more it's there in the background, a little bit more concerned, um, but currently we, we feel okay. Thanks for uh, sharing that with us. Uh, as far as your career in golf is concerned, uh, where'd you grow up and uh, what was it that prompted your interest in uh, the turf industry? So I'm originally from England, uh, northwest of England, and I was actually studying um, at college after school, doing a landscape use, sort of a bit of a countryside park management course, and I had to find some work experience for that and that's the first time I actually went to a golf course um, my parents were members at a local small club and they approached the owners and asked if I could do my volunteering experience there and that was my first experience of any kind of golf course maintenance I worked there the whole summer and also were able I carried on as well after my internship if you like finished and went back on weekends and holidays as well because I enjoyed it so following my college qualification I actually um, went into landscape gardening for a year and then an opportunity came up at a nearby um, golf resort that was about to open a new Nicholas course. Um, they were looking for staff and they saw my experience on the golf course and actually asked me to join the golf course crew. I'd actually gone initially looking at a gardening job um, and from there they invested in my education in greenkeeping uh, where I was able to do apprenticeships all the way through. Um, and I stayed there on and off for about nine years. Uh, part of that, I went on an internship over to America with the Ohio State program, um, where I really was able to uh, be on golf courses for 18 months. Uh, I was at Kingsmill for six months and at Augusta National for a year. And I've returned each year to volunteer for the tournament up until travel uh, restrictions came in um, two years ago. So I did 18 consecutive tournaments um, and I plan to go back in April. Um, which will be my first one in two years, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, I've also 
been a golf course superintendent in Spain. Um, I travelled, I was there for about three and a half years on another Nicholas course. I returned to the uh, UK for family reasons and I was actually uh, working for a college delivering apprenticeships myself. So going out all over the country in different areas um, delivering apprenticeships to students that never went to the college. So they, they never actually had to go to the, the, the building of the college. I delivered their qualification to them remotely um, and did assessments on site. So it's really great to see a lot of different golf courses, meet a lot of people. Um, and then an opportunity, I, I really missed being on the golf courses myself, you know, after seeing a lot of golf courses and working with a lot of people. And an opportunity came up through my contacts um, previously from Spain and Nicholas. Uh, they were looking for a superintendent to come and finish the growing here in Latvia. Um, and I wanted to get back on the golf courses. And I've been here for five years now. We finished the growing or I finished the growing and with my team. And we took it into maintenance and we've been open for just over three years now. And it's been great. That's uh, quite a record of accomplishment. You should be commended uh, for all that. Now, when you came to the United States to take part in the Ohio State internship program, what was that like for you, apart from coming to America, but having the opportunity to uh, study at Ohio State, one of the top turf grass schools in this country, and then spending time at Kings Mill, and then, of course, Augusta National, two wonderful golf facilities. How did that enhance your professional growth? Well, I actually just did the internship. So I was actually just on location at the golf courses. I didn't go to Ohio State for the um, the, the sort of end of the degree period, wasn't it? Um, but I, it was brilliant. I mean, I, Kingsmill had at the time the Michelob Championship and had the three 18-hole golf courses and the nine-hole course as well. So seeing you know that huge uh, maintenance facility and the process that went on of managing that huge resort um, that was a real sort of, I'd never seen anything like that. Um, and so it was a real sort of experience to see such a huge, with the residences, the, the, everything that was there was very big. <laughs> and, and just the large staff uh, was, a, again, we weren't used to seeing crews like that in the UK. Um, so that you're getting to know a lot of big teams, um, how a PGA Tour event was put together and going through that process as well, meeting greenkeepers I was with an American and a New Zealand greenkeeper at the time so working with them and hearing their experiences they we were all on the Ohio program together and then also meeting um, students that were doing their internship from other American universities again that was really interesting to hear their experiences um, especially because the education system is slightly different in America um, having a lot more of the degree route at that time this was back in 2001 um, and whereas we were much more in um, work, uh, work based training and apprenticeship um, on the job training um, in the UK. So that was really interesting, sort of seeing the difference there. And having the opportunity to volunteer at the Masters, too. And again, interacting with superintendents uh, from all over the world at an event like that, uh, apart from your actual responsibilities, what do you pick up from? interacting with and learning from other superintendents with that wide range of backgrounds? Masters tournament for me has been probably the highlight of my career, as obviously most people would probably agree with that. And, and working there for 12 months was amazing as well as an intern. Um, just the crew was, we had so much fun and I still have friends on the crew um, with 20 years ago now. 
there's still superintendents there that volunteer that volunteered in my first year my first tournament was um, 20, uh, 2002 and there's still some that go back even now so we're we, we you know we've known each other for 20 years and there's people that come there from all around the world to volunteer as well and just having that conversation in the morning around a cup of coffee or um, doing our jobs, you know, as we go around the golf course, talking to people, dealing with storms, anything like that, the, the discussions you have and what you learn and you talk to them throughout the year as well. I think really you don't get that anywhere else. You know, you can't get that. I, I, I would definitely say any tournament you would make those connections. I do believe in one way Augusta is quite unique because we have a lot of the same team go back every year. Um, and so we see each other every single year. You know, it's it's not like a tournament you might just do once and you don't go back there. Let's say I've done 18 in a row um, and seeing so many of the team members, the volunteers every single year, um, you have long relationships with them, you know, and you really build up that rapport and see them grow up, some of them as well, you know, see some of the younger guys now have families on the crew, you know, and have gone off and run their own golf courses as well. Um but just the, the the differences of where people are working, the circumstances that they might be under, um, you discuss things that you you may be dealing with in your workplace, and you always take something away from every tournament. It's you know you never lose out on anything. I think it's really important. I'd recommend volunteering at any tournament to anyone. You also have the opportunity to do that for the Ryder Cup uh, yeah. in Paris and uh, for the Italian Open. I guess, uh, last year. And I'm sure in your mind, nothing would compare to Augusta national. We're not, we're not going to claim that it is on this podcast, <laughs> but again, having the opportunity to see how a major event works and having maybe a renewed appreciation for all it takes to make it work. Obviously you're focusing on your own responsibilities, but there are so many moving parts to a major event like the Italian Open or, or the Ryder Cup or a PGA Tour event here or a European Tour event uh, in Great Britain or Europe. it's um, There's a lot of moving parts and it takes a lot for it all to come together. And I don't think the casual golf fan really appreciates it. I don't know how anybody could unless they saw it up close. No, I agree. I think it's uh, obviously... Um some of those tournaments you go in and a lot of the hard work's been done. And we talk about it at the Masters. We talked about the Ryder Cup and we talked about the Italian Open, how it gives the team a real boost. They've been working solid for months. You know, they've been working really hard. and They're almost getting to that point where they just want it over. And then the volunteers come in and we all come in with a new energy, you know, and we really kind of give, and every superintendent that you'll talk to or every manager will say the same thing. This is, you know, the boost that it gives the the permanent crew and the guys that have been there um, preparing the course this is great you know you just see them rise up again they enjoy it just as much as the volunteers enjoy it you know it's um it just gives that renewed energy to everyone um and then you when i was doing the tournaments in europe that's been really interesting because the obviously i'm meeting more local superintendents and people from around europe more um, than I do in, when I'm in the Masters. So that's been really nice, actually, meeting a lot more people on this side, seeing the difference, the, the a lot of differences from where they're from in Europe as well and the different circumstances, different golf courses again. Um, so that was quite interesting doing the Ryder Cup. And a couple of people have continued doing now the Italian Open with the with the run-up to the Ryder Cup uh, next year there as well. So um, I've really enjoyed that. 
because I think that we have a different dynamic there. It's obviously it's a different tournament. We're allowed to take our phones out. We take pictures. We're really encouraged to enjoy it and, and showcase our work as well and share photographs, which again is totally different from Augusta where we are required to, you know, just um, hang back. It's not really appropriate um, to take photographs behind the scenes and things with it being under such a microscope. Let's talk about uh, what you're doing uh, in Latvia. You got there in 2017 and finished the grow-in. And even though you didn't start it, I think our audience would appreciate and understand what it means to a superintendent to be at a golf course beginning during the grow-in process and then seeing it open for play. So why don't we talk for a moment about how all that evolved for you? How far along was the process uh, when you got there? So we're 27 holes here um, and nine holes were done. Um, most of the 18 holes uh, partly were grown in um, and some had started to be shaped for seeding. The bunkers were still needing to be finished on the 18 hole golf course. So we did have a shaper come in to do those. We did still have a construction team. Things like the road still needed to go in. Um, some of the holes had only been seeded at the end of the season previous. Um, so they needed a lot more support. Uh, we had about six or seven holes that really needed a lot of uh, management. The putting green and the tie-in from the, the golf course to the clubhouse hadn't been built yet. So that was done in that year as well. So that the shaper was doing the uh, capillary concrete installation and the bunker installation um, with us working with them and then doing the build of the, the putting green. And we were overtaking it as soon as you know, I seeded the putting green, for example. Um, and took that on uh, as soon as he kind of done the shaping. It was really interesting, actually. It was my first major construction project um, at that stage. And I actually really wish I'd been here earlier because I really enjoyed actually kind of... What I had to do is really start looking at it from a golf course perspective, how the golfers were going to get around, how the greenkeepers were going to work around the golf course. Um, so the difference is, obviously, from a construction point of view where you're going out and you're just trying to get the golf course grown in, I was really having to say, right, here we are. We need to get this now ready for golfers to move around, for the greenkeepers to move around when there's golfers on the golf course as well. How are they going to get across a hole without obviously being an issue if a ball lands in a certain, if we put a maintenance path in, for example. Um, and thinking about all of those elements, um, health and safety on the golf course for golfers, um, thinking about that, you know, where are we going to locate um, life preservers, for example. Um, all of those different elements, um, and especially the clubhouse, the clubhouse was delayed because of just normal planning delays. Um, so we had we had a little bit more time than was originally planned. We had almost an extra year with the golf course. Uh, obviously, being in northeastern Europe, we do have hard winters here. Uh, right now, we've been closed for over three months for snow. So your your seeding and when you can actually grow and, and cut your grass is very limited. You know, you really have to watch disease. So uh, when I say we had an extra year, I mean an extra season, you know, an extra summer season. Um, to really hone the golf course and get it prepared. And we ended up opening at the very end of um, 2018 and in the November, our, our owner wanted to open that year. Um, and thankfully it was the last good weather day of the year. <laughs> so we had a great day to open. And then we had our first official season the following year. A couple of things come to mind here in terms of getting things done. Uh, first of all, how challenging was it for you to put together a team to get that work done? Were you responsible for that or was there a team there when you got there? 
Yes, because it's the because of the seasonal nature of the location, there was a construction team that had been working here in the summer and they'd actually some of them had been going off to the Middle East and different projects in the winter. It was very small, um, but they were here. We had a couple of guys that had been coming on um, from the seasons and they were doing each season and they were very good. They, they knew how to use a mower. Um, there's only one other 18 hole golf course in the entire of Latvia. So it's a very small golfing nation. Um, it's a very small population as well of, of just under 2 million. Um, so golf isn't a big sport here. And to find staff that could actually get to the golf course at the time that you needed them to. So an early start, for example, being just outside the city, not many people have cars and public transport can be a challenge. It's a good 30 minute walk from the nearest bus stop and things like that and train station. Actually just finding staff to get to the golf course in time for you know for a 6 six thirty start we have to we have to start at 6 30 because the nearest bus doesn't get there till six so that can be unusual that can be a real challenge and even now getting staff um we don't have we're a very small team sorry over the winter there's only six of us and we have two mechanics because our machinery fleet was was planned to be quite big um so having new staff pretty much every season we have new staff all the time and we have to train them some of them don't even drive. So even just training them on a utility vehicle can take some time, never mind training them on mowers. So we have a very strong training and buddy system. Um, with the pandemic, as everyone's found, our team did go smaller. So we have less experienced staff now in the season to help with the buddy system that we had, you know, where somebody would go out with them and help them and check on the guys, Make, even just them making sure they knew where they're going. Most have never seen a golf course before. They have no idea what golf is. Um, so they don't know what a green is when you say oh go to the ninth green never mind where that is so we do a lot of maps we have a lot of maps in the building as well um, we do a lot of driving around just making sure people are in the right location where they need to be a lot of supervision and checking on them all the time taking them out with the machines all the time um, it usually we usually get guys pretty good guys and girls pretty good within about six weeks four to six weeks on on the basic equipment that's cutting greens that's cutting tees that's going out on a triple mower um, everyone's different and we have to adapt the training for everyone um, but most you know and one of the hardest things is actually getting them to watch where the golf is because <laughs> they'll be so concentrated on what they're doing they're not actually looking for the person that's hitting a golf ball at them. So <laughs> that can be actually one of the most challenging things. We, we spend a lot of time on training and actually reminding them. They can be on a par five green and we'll see them. They'll see a golfer tee off and they think they need to be away from the green because, again, they, we have to educate them on, no, you're OK, you're fine for a little bit. It's the landing area. Um, so it takes a lot of time. It's a massive investment for us um, because, unfortunately, because we can't offer them a permanent contract because of the winter, um, we can't keep a full team 12 year, twelve months of a year. This isn't enough work. Um, some of them will only do one season. So you invest massively on training them. And unfortunately, they'll go and find another job in the winter and they, they sometimes don't come back. Um, students to me have been great. We have a lot of local students that come and have worked for me um, and then tell their friends um, and their friends come and the students have been brilliant. Unfortunately, a lot of them are studying something else and eventually are going on to their future careers. Um, I would love, I, I do actually this year have two of my seasonal staff and one permanent member of staff, I should say, is about to go on the Ohio programme for the first time. So I'm really proud that we've actually got some Latvian greenkeepers that have been accepted um, 
on the Ohio program and are now going to go out and experience golf courses in other countries and, and have that experience of um, just everything. They're going to work tournament events. They, they, yeah, they've never really been to many other golf courses. So I'm really looking forward to see how they get on. Um, and I'm sure they're going to do absolutely brilliantly. That's great. How big is your staff during your golf season, during the peak of your season? It's varied considerably. When we were still in construction, we went up to about 25, 28 um, on and off because that, that's only for June, July and August, you know, the real height of summer. Um, and that was because we were still having to do a lot of hand watering of trees, a lot of landscaping, a lot of cleaning up after the road constructions of the, the paths. Um, and now during COVID, it actually went down to about 12 uh, for 27 holes. That was including me and my mechanics. So that was a real challenge. This year, I'm hoping to take it up to about 16 or 17. Um, and to me, that's fine for us. We can manage that. We have had to you know, do a lot more ride on mowing and things like that. But we, we're, we've been very reliant on tourists um, coming here. And that obviously hasn't happened for the last few years. So everyone's had to adapt. The hardest thing is obviously actually sometimes it's easier to train people to hand mow than it is to ride on mow if they don't drive um, and they don't have an awareness of, a, of where to turn and things. So um, again, you know, if people hand, uh, ride on Mona Green, for example, that's going to be a little bit more of a challenge because um, they're, they're not very confident, you know, and you really have to build their confidence a lot quicker um, if there's a slope or something like that, especially. But overall, um, that number will be fine for us this year. We, we our, sh- our season really will start hiring staff in April and we'll, um, our season really doesn't get going until May. Um, when we really turn green, you know, our grass actually is still quite dormant in April. It's just very slowly coming out of, of winter. Um, and May is when we really see the growth pick up and when we really, you know, have the, the boost. Um, I wouldn't say we're too busy with golfers. So that does give us that flexibility because there isn't that many golfers here. Um, so even though that has grown considerably, um, like everywhere during the pandemic, um, we're, we don't have people stood on the tee at eight o'clock in the morning waiting to tee off, which again helps my staff um, immensely to get ahead. Um, the golf is growing and, and with tourism coming back, that's going to be great for us as well. Um, but it definitely helps having a smaller team that we don't have that pressure at 8am, you know, when the first tee time goes off. And your season sort of tails off when? I'm thinking September, or early October. It very much depends. This year, we have we we will go until we like that's it. Like when the snow comes down, that that's when we'll close. And we don't usually. Last year, um, it's a funny. One of the laughing jokes with me here is uh, we we, you know, we never have a normal year, and I think that's everyone, isn't it? Nowadays, there's no such thing as a normal winter or a normal summer right now. And in five years, every winter's been different. Um, a couple of years ago, we actually stayed open all winter. That was our first, the end of our first season. Wow. We didn't close up until the pandemic and it, we didn't have any snow. Um, that, so that was 2019 winter going into 2020. Um, and everyone said that's the first time Latvia's never had, in this area, it's never had snow. You know, it, it was unbelievable. It was such a mild winter and we actually kept the golf course open. Obviously frost delays, a very late tea time, 10 o'clock because of very heavy frosts and things um and cold winds you know not many play, people really wanted to play um but this year the golf co- the golf course has been closed since the end of november uh, when we first had snow and it didn't go i've just got back to the country now and we haven't got snow at the moment but we are um you know very minus temperatures in them overnight and we're frozen still so the, the, we're not quite there ready to open yet we still have some frozen snow in areas 
Um, so we, we may be able to open a little bit earlier. I look at the forecast for the next month and I, I can't see it really happening much before the 1st of April. If we can, we will. Um, and we, I always plan on the golf course being open into November or December. You know, always set aside. If we have golf at Christmas, that's great. Um, but I also then plan for it to be closed January, February, March um, as a minimum. Um, sometimes it'll be closed in December as well, like it was this year. Um, but I always say three months is going to be a good closure months from January to March. You've traveled quite a bit, and I'm thinking <clears throat> there are some unique experiences you've had as a result of that and where you've worked. But I'm thinking particularly the language barrier, if there is one, you speak Spanish, you speak Latvian, but what was it like to, <clears throat> pardon me, what was it like to learn to communicate with the people you were working with, whether it be Spain, whether it be in France, Italy, or in Latvia? Um, I'd say Spain was quite difficult because not many people on my crew spoke, spoke any English at all. Um, so when I first arrived there, that was almost an urgency for me to learn Spanish. Um, so I had one-to-one -one lessons as part of my job, and that really helped me quite quickly. Um, so a handful of the crew spoke English and helped. Um, so Spain was very difficult because that was very frustrating, not being able to be understood there. Um, here, it's been completely different. I've tried to learn Latvian. I, I literally can understand, but I can't speak very well. Um, Latvian has been a very difficult language. So it's just the different um, formation of the language. I have had many lessons. Um, but the funny thing is with here is not many people, if you speak English to someone, usually somebody can speak English back. Um, the main languages here are Latvian, Russian and English. So depending on what age the person is, um, this is very general. Um, somebody under mid thirties will probably speak Latvian and English, maybe Russian, and somebody older will probably speak Latvian, Russian, and a lot of the times English as well. So it's very mixed. And my staff actually even said to me, "You may as well learn Russian because if somebody doesn't speak English, they're going to speak Russian <laughs> rather than to learn Latvian." Um, I, I didn't. I, I believe in learning the language where you live. Uh, so I've, I've made more effort to learn Latvian. But actually, most people just speak English if I even try. <laughs> they just oh, don't worry, we'll speak English. <laughs> it's easier for you. And the golf course. I was looking at some numbers last night. And from the back tees, it says 63.64. I'm assuming that is in meters. Yes, uh, yes. We're all meters, yes. Thinking about a trip uh, a friend of mine and I took to Canada uh, a couple of years ago, and we had been to Canada before that, but we were in the province of Quebec. <clears throat> and it wasn't until my friend teed off on the first hole that he realized, <clears throat> and I realized that my uh, GPS watch converted automatically to meters. Thus, he took a fairway medal off the tee when he probably shouldn't have. And that's when we got our indoctrination, if you will. Now, obviously, you know, being used to the metric system, but it still is a little bit different. And uh, it was interesting looking at uh, your scorecard last night. So, yeah. And it was, it, that was strange for me going from um, Spain as well. It's because um, obviously I went from in England, we still use yards um, in the golf course industry. Um, and then I went to Spain and it was meters and that took a little bit of getting used to. 
Um, here it's funny because obviously a lot of the times we didn't have, weren't even thinking of the length of the golf course because we were in construction. Um, and it was only until we had people come over to measure it, you know, it was like, oh, yes, right. Again, looking at how it was um, actually the length and the distances from the back tees to the centre of the green and sort of how the play lines were from the design and everything else. So, yeah, it's been really interesting that. The other thing I was thinking about, too, because of your latitude, you've got daylight later into the evening. So how late in the evening do you have golfers on the course? So we will be, um, I mean, even now we're, we're half past 5 p.m. now and it's quite bright still now, even in um, the 1st of March. Um, so our daylights get really light quite early, um, early in the year. Midsummer we will be very much we'll only have maybe four hours of darkness uh, coming at the end of June, mid-July. So we actually offer golf quite late uh, and we'll have golfers playing quite late. So how much play do you end up getting over the course of a season in terms of number of rounds? Um, last year, uh, our numbers were about 12,000 rounds, which obviously that was um, with travel restrictions as well. Um, we would hope to really be getting up to about the 20 um, I mean, I'd like some more. I think we're still trying to build the business. We're still trying to build golf in the area. Um, and that would be our plan from April to the end of November. You know, that would be our target, anything more than that. I think we need to be looking at the 20 to 30 in the long-term plan rounds a year. But that's for all the golf course. That's the 27 holes. Um, it will take time to build it up here. We really have to have people seeing Latvia and the Baltics as a golf destination. Thankfully, obviously, with the rise in golf across Europe as well as everywhere, um, we we our main market is really Scandinavia um, and the Finnish, um, um, Swedish golfers coming over. They can get a direct ferry to, to Riga, which is great. Obviously, a lot of golfers like to play multiple golf courses and only having two 18-hole golf courses in the country limits our ability to attract a lot of people here. Um I, I, you know, we talk my team and say, you know, we really aren't that busy. You're very lucky that we can get our job done. You don't have to worry about a lot of golfers. But I said, I'd like us to be more busy. We work very hard. You know, we provide a really nice golf course. So it'd be really great for more people to enjoy it. Wendy, we thank you very much for making the time. We thank you and really everyone in the turf industry who's listening to our podcast for all they do uh, to make golf a more enjoyable game for all of us who try and play it. I always like to say that I can write about it and talk about it a lot better than I can play it, but it does provide a lot of pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you. That's been great to be here. Wendy O'Brien, our guest on this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. We thank all of you for joining us. My name is Rick Wolfel. We invite you to join us next time. Sorry about that. Uh, no, no problem. <laughs> I just knew she'd keep barking. I didn't know if you could hear it very well. Oh, uh, no, we've done, we've done these. Um, I've done other podcasts where <clears throat> the dog started barking. And basically, it's, you know, if you're a superintendent, you have to have a dog. That's oh, okay. That's all right. This is actually the dog's podcast, Wendy. You're just <laughs> <on it. laughs> Yeah, she wants to be included. <laughs> no, that, that, that's fine.